Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Help me welcome Dr. Jennifer Baruman. Dr. Baruman is a surgeon who practices abdominal transplantation, including liver, kidney, and pancreas transplant, as well as hepatobiliary surgery at University of California, San Diego, Jacobs Medical Center. She earned her medical degree from Tulane University and attended residency training at UC San Diego. She went on to complete her fellowship training in abdominal transplantation at Stanford University with a focus on pediatric liver and kidney transplantation before returning to UCSD on faculty. Her clinical and research interests include pediatric transplantation and clinical research, medical student and resident education, enjoying San Diego, and traveling. Dr. Bruman, welcome to Essential Wisdom. Tell us about your path to becoming a female physician. I got interested in medicine when I was in high school growing up. My dad was a doctor, and so that got me kind of interested in learning more about it. I was first interested in becoming a veterinarian, and then I realized that I really like people better than animals, although I still love animals. And I worked my way through biomedical engineering in college, and as an engineering student, uh, especially with the biomedical engineering portion of things, I got more interested in the medical side of things, and got really interested in stem stem cell uh, research, Mm -hmm. and did some stem cell research with my thesis as an undergraduate. That got me really interested in transplant and kidney transplant in particular at that time. So I did some research with transplant in um, medical school as well, and then got really into transplant. So my focus in medicine has been always interested in medicine, but then I really got enamored with transplant, and that's really one of the big reasons that I carried on through with everything. When you were looking at pursuing science as a field, did you ever think medicine was going to be for you when you were like in high school? I definitely thought so. I definitely would have told you that I was pre-med and working towards that versus other things. But I can say that not everybody in life encourages you to do that because it's really a difficult career sometimes and your lifestyle is not always meant to put you first. And so a lot of people, my dad's friends who are doctors and things said, don't do it. But Mm -hmm. um, I really made sure that I understood what I was getting into and learned a lot, shadowed shadowed them so I learned more about it and eventually still wanted to do it. Yeah. Did you know any women doctors when you were? I would say no. Yeah. I don't think I did. Uh, My dad had one partner who was a woman, but she started working with him later so I didn't really know her that well. Okay. My role models were more men. Yeah. What did your dad practice? OBGYN. Okay. Interesting. So you were kind of exposed to medicine from a young age then. And yeah, he was on call a lot. When I was first growing up, he was on call one and every three nights. So he wow. was really gone a lot, not around a lot. So I understood like it's a demand on your time frame. but I thought the stuff he did was really interesting. His patients loved him. We would run into them at dinner and they'd be like, oh, your dad. And I would think about what my dad had just done with them that day. And I was like, I don't wanna know. 
That's awesome. <laughs> but um, he, his patients loved him, and I think his influence is also a big part of why I did it. Wow. So did you have any female mentors in the sciences throughout the process? When I was an undergrad, I had um, PhD female mentors who were my research yeah. thesis advisors and professors in college, and they were really actually amazing people. Hmm doing really neat stuff, really cool biomedical research that's relevant to medicine, but they were not medical doctors. It, was, it took a while before I actually really had medical doctor, um, medical doctor role models. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, um, it's just an interesting question because it seems like women wind up finding female mentors once they're at like a graduate level or in college, but mm -hmm. not so much when you're in high school or some kind of time before. Right. I know I didn't. So right. yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, so I guess we kind of have a good background on why you wound up choosing transplant. Um, when you first entered medical school, was that an interest like immediately for you? When I first did, I already knew I was interested because of the undergraduate experience. Okay. I knew I liked surgery too. I had watched a bunch of surgeries in high school with my dad and then uh, did a little bit in undergrad too. I like hands-on things. I like being involved in that and really getting into things and seeing the inside and out and actually yeah. you know it's before you it's a while before you really figure out that surgery actually really like fixes things right away and makes a big difference over other things but one of my bigger interests so now that you have chosen transplant what is probably the greatest reward that you have being it's a woman <laughs> in transplant <laughs> being a woman in transplant is sometimes difficult but i think um you know we get to be a role model for some people we get to do some really amazing operations you see the immediate effects on your patients and you get to see them long-term and it really changes their life. And it's a really fun operation to do, like liver and kidney transplants are really fun. I get to do pediatric transplant also and that's really rewarding because these little kids, like who, you know, they're pretty amazing to begin with. They're on dialysis and they're like two or three years old and they're okay and then they have their transplant and they're even better. And so it's really a fun thing to watch. Can you talk a little bit about how you wind up how you wound up getting into the pediatric side of things? I would say I never thought I would do it. And then um, when I was applying for fellowships, I interviewed at Stanford and they're really heavy on pediatrics. Yeah. And then I kind of started thinking about it more and realized it would be pretty interesting and did a lot during my training and got really into it then. Just it's, operating on pediatric patients is very different than operating on adult patients. Like the anatomy is kind of perfect. The planes are usually beautiful, everything is <laughs> a lot more straightforward in some regards and so it's just a really fun operation to do and when it goes really well everyone's really happy because the pediatricians are so into their patients and they're so intense about taking care of them that when things go well they're so excited <laughs> so awesome. you feel like a little bit of a hero sometimes but amazing uh, it's a pretty cool thing to be involved in how much pediatrics do you do now it's about 15 percent of my time okay that's a lot it can be sometimes more sometimes less yeah. So what's the experience like being a woman in transplant, specifically? Transplant is, well, surgery in general is a male-dominated field, still a little bit old school. Transplant is even more old school. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a small field, and so you kind of know a lot of different people, and there are a lot of women who have worked their way up to higher up in the field, yeah. and they're well-respected. So at least there's a lot of avenue to be a respected female transplant surgeon. Sometimes the medicine people like it better because women sometimes are easier to talk to, <laughs> so it sometimes has an advantage. Um, but it's still you still experience sometimes the the male-dominated world where they're choosing men to do other things and things like that. But it 
overall it's not a huge problem most of the time but every once in a while you you might notice that there's mm. some bias but it's still there's still a lot of people to be inspired by in transplant surgery absolutely men and women but yeah yeah, men and I feel like men and women and everything. It's just yeah. nice when you're looking up in the ranks. Uh, from my perspective of being a student, you know, when you see somebody that's similar to what you would aspire to be, too. Yeah, you know? yeah I mean, when I was a resident, you didn't hear a lot of like, oh, this female doc, this female surgeon, whatever, is a chairman. Oh, she's so wonderful. And it's changing a little bit more where you're hearing more like this person's in charge and oh yeah they're such a great surgeon they're a great person they're a great role model so you hear a lot more about that now than you used to it's kind of nice to know that that's happening and that there is a pathway to getting to that point in your life too yeah absolutely did you have any um specific role models you looked up to when you were planning your career mainly the transplant surgeons that i worked with the medical school and the transplant surgeons at ucsd okay and the ones I've worked with in fellowship. So there are a lot of different people. You learn things to do and you learn things not to do. So try to take away the good parts and learn yeah. those good things to do. Absolutely. So we kind of touched on this, but do you think that there are actually any barriers that you face in your field, just being a woman? There are, but I think sometimes I don't realize that they're happening. But there definitely are. Women approach things in a more, like, how do I say it? Women approach things in a more... Um, mild fashion where they tend to apply for things that maybe they only think they can get. Mm. Men tend to just go for everything and so sometimes that ends up hurting you in the field of surgery where you may not be quite as aggressive or as confident in going for what you want and the men who do it get it. So mm. sometimes there's that bias happening but I think as long as you recognize it and you work towards it and you're a good doctor, a good surgeon, people are going to recognize that and you can work through those kind of issues. And recognizing those, uh, recognizing those characteristics in myself helps me prevent those things from happening to me. Hmm. So, if you were looking back at your decisions you made through college and med school, do you do you feel like you would reflect and say, "Oh, there were definitely shots I could have taken"? Absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of things I didn't do because I thought maybe I wasn't qualified or I didn't, you know, think that I could. I didn't want to push myself like that. Whereas a man would have just gone for it, whether or not they deserved it or not. And so if I didn't apply and the man did, the man got it. <laughs> so those things don't happen. So what would you tell a high school or college student? I mean, how, how do you get over that? You know, you have to recognize it's happening before you can get over it. And mm -hmm. it's really easy to not realize it. But once you realize it's happening, really making the steps to change your behavior so that you think more like a man sometimes, even though it's not always the best way to think. But <laughs> yeah. sometimes at least recognizing your professional qualities, recognizing the good things about you, what you can be doing, and recognizing that you have a lot to offer that maybe people haven't told you you have, mm. that maybe you haven't realized about yourself, but that you can, if you really want to do something, you can work to make it happen. Mm. It seems like the key to recognizing those things would be having either a, like a really great parent who's good at that or a good mentor. Um, how do you think like a college women should approach finding and maintaining mentors? So, I mean, in college it's going to be the people you're around, like your professors, and getting to, if you see a professor who you like, who you know, their personality melds with yours well, then meeting with them more frequently to actually have them help you guide you in your career goals. It's kind of hard to find someone outside of your field who you haven't met, and that's yeah. a challenge. But sometimes there are programs that will help you with that, like pre-medical programs, you might do those nights where you have doctors come and talk. Yeah. Sometimes those are good ways to meet other people and 
if they'll let you shadow them or their shadowing programs, that's a good way to kind of get in with someone in medicine. And the most important thing to do if you do that kind of stuff is to show interest and ask questions and show up on time and be engaged. Yeah. Not over-engaged, but engaged. <laughs> Fair enough. Not stalkerish, just engaged. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, if you had to pick like an effective habit that you follow, is there one that you do daily? No. <laughs> I'm terrible. Okay. Um, so if there was one take you a wish shower, you followed. <laughs> brush my teeth. If there was awesome. one I wish I followed, it'd be more like managing my time a little bit better. It's easy to come and sit in your office or go to work and um daydream a little bit but <laughs> it would be more and it, it actually is a big difference sometimes if I have a lot to do I'll sit down and get it done but if I don't have that much to do then I might waste some more time so it's more <laughs> not wasting my time and actually scheduling things out and to a point where I know I can get things done to get them done yeah um can you talk a little bit more on the lifestyle of transplant and yes. what that's like <laughs> the lifestyle of transplant is not for everybody um, we take call a lot, so we work a lot of nights and weekends, and that's just because in the nature of transplant, not because things just happen on a dime and you have to jump to the operating room, but because they don't want to schedule procurements and donor operations outside of normal OR time because it pushes everything back. So we end up doing a lot of nights and weekends um, that sometimes end up being you know, 24 hours, 36 hours you're awake because you're, you're operating or you have clinics and you have to cover your regular business hours duties. So it can be a little bit difficult. It's very rewarding. It's a fun life to be a part of. It's really a big team environment. We work very closely with certain people and you get to know them very well. And so we have a big team. It can be exhausting, but it's also very rewarding. And it's not for everybody because you do have to kind of, on some level, give up other things in your life and make sure that you're you, know, you might miss some dinners, you might miss birthdays or things like that. And if you have a partner, you have to make sure they're very understanding of these things are going to happen because mm -hmm. it can be a strain on your personal life. But um, really, when we get time off, we try to enjoy it as much as we can and make sure we're utilizing our free time as much as we can. So it can be rough, but it's really a great career. And the rewarding parts of it usually make up for the, the exhausting parts of it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the word balance <laughs> and whether or not it's a thing? <laughs> It's a hot topic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's definitely a thing. It's hard to find the right balance sometimes, and it's gonna maybe vary based on your week. So if I have a week where I'm working every night and I'm exhausted, then the next week I'm gonna try to work less and try to come in later to work, take my dog for a walk, do things mm -hmm. that are not work-related, even if it's just like go shopping, go to a movie, go out to dinner, whatever it is, to kind of feel more like a normal person. So. Yeah. You have to try to find the balance. You have to make sure you take vacations. It is hard to disconnect from work, but you have to make sure you do it so that you figure out some me time. Because it gets hard to only work. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to only have that balance in your life. And it's really easy because most people who go into medicine are really career driven. It's really easy to spend your whole time working. <laughs> Even as a medical student, it's yeah. easy to spend all your hours like at the hospital and not leave when they tell you to leave, but it's okay to leave. It's okay <laughs> to go home and have a life outside of medicine. <laughs> it's becoming more acceptable also to do yeah. that. That's good advice. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you how do you take the time to mentally disconnect? So as a transplant you're on call a lot, you know, and you go home even there's the possibility that you may have to come back in. There's the level of like leaving your phone alone and that's really hard to do because if we're on call we can't. 
Um, but if I'm not on call, it actually is really nice to like, leave my phone in the car when I go to dinner or something oh, like nice. that to avoid checking it nonstop because if I have it, I'm going to check it. Uh, when I'm on call, we can't do that. But when I'm on call, you at least will sometimes know you have several hours free and so try to plan something. Just try to plan something that makes you feel a little bit normal. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're not working all the time. And it's okay to not plan things when you're on call and then plan a lot for when you're not on call. But whatever works out for you personally. Mm -hmm. As long as you're happy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If you had any resource available to you, this is such a funny question. Everyone has a different kind of an answer. How would your day look different? So some people have said before they wanted more time, you know, like or an actual yeah, resource. <laughs> you want a scribe? Uh, a scribe would be fine. <laughs> I kind of have people who help me with that thing going. I would be able to transport myself from place to place without having to walk or drive. <laughs> Fair enough. That's so if I want to be one place in one minute, I could just pop there. Like just teleport. <laughs> Teleportation. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. I need that. That would be so good. And a clone. A clone would be great. <laughs> I like both of those. Yeah. Um, how do you choose to set your priorities in your life? Uh, mainly by career or? It's difficult question. I mean, when we're on call, you don't really have the choice to change your priorities. Work has to be your priority. Mm -hmm. Taking care of patients, making sure they get out alive. Yeah. So that's a priority. But outside of work, it's uh, a difficult question. I'm not sure I really make the choice. I'm sure sometimes the work makes the choice for me. Mm -hmm. And then if I have time, though, outside of work, I try to make sure I am setting aside personal time. Yeah. Doing things with my friends, getting out of the house. Seeing so the house. Yeah. So in terms of like the greater umbrella of like running your life, I guess, so would you choose that your top priority is primarily your career? By design. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has become my career. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For the most part, it's become my career. I mean, there are people who have families, um, you know, I have a boyfriend, I have a dog, like those things are important to me to like spend time with. But it's not something you can always do when your career is as demanding as it can be. Mm -hmm. So I try to take those times when I'm not on call and make sure I'm making those priorities and seeing my family, taking vacation, so that those things aren't falling behind. Because it's easy to let those things fall behind. Yeah. And it's easy to let work take over your home life. It's easy to be in a bad mood when you're at home because you have to go back to work that night or something like that. You just have to remember <laughs> that. Yes, you chose this, but at the same time, you can choose to kind of change your lifestyle a little bit so that you do things that you enjoy outside mm -hmm. of work. Everyone always says, like, I don't feel bad for you because you chose this lifestyle. However, <laughs> I don't appreciate that because <laughs> I did choose this lifestyle and I love my job, but I also think it's not fair to work all the time. So you should choose some sort of career, some sort of thing for yourself so that you can do things that you want to do. See your family. Yeah. Get out of town for a weekend, whatever it is. Make sure you're planning those things so that you take care of yourself. So if you went back, would you do transplant again? Probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> you love what you do. Yes. 75% of the day is what <laughs> I do. Awesome. And it is what it is. There are hard times no matter what you choose. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about balance already, so that's kind of usually my next question, but in terms of challenges and decisions you had to face, um, what was like a pivotal challenge you faced and how you navigated it? When I was a medical student, I was in New Orleans at Tulane, mm -hmm. uh, my third year, and Hurricane Katrina hit 
like right after I think in August of my third year and so we and I was vice president of the student body at the time and we essentially lost all communication with everybody because the cell phone towers were out we all kind of disappeared and we had to work our way back to figure out where everybody was working through like text chains because text messaging worked and eventually we figured found everybody eventually we moved the school to Houston and there were a lot of like obstacles in getting there we lost a lot of students but we had to really work to make sure everybody like still had a community mm. because it was kind of hard to come and just be on your own so we went to school at Baylor and Houston and UT Houston and then a couple other schools in Texas and as the like, with the student body we really did a lot of things to kind of help bring everybody together we got the money together to get our own student lounge in Texas so we made our own student lounge where we could all go and at least we could see each other and mm -hmm. like, we had a bunch of events that we planned and fortunately Tulane was very supportive for that so it was really made the it really made the transition a lot easier on everybody having this kind of support from the, the group of Tulane there wow. and it was a really nice experience in some regard I mean it was terrible I would never want to go through that again but the good part was it really brought a lot of us together and we did a lot of team building and mm. working with UT Houston to make sure that everyone was happy we were there and all these things to really work through. Baylor wasn't necessarily that happy we were there because our students felt like we were going to take away from them but we had to do a lot again of <laughs> kind of hand holding and working through all these issues so that wow. it went smoothly and it went as smoothly as it could. So that was a big challenge. It was hard to navigate but there were days when we were like why are we doing this but that's crazy a lot of work and a lot of individual work made it happen, made it go okay. How long were you there? Nine months. And then you went back? And then we went back to New Orleans. clinical time? For another much. year. Wow. For a fourth year. Yeah. That's crazy. It was that crazy. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> wow. So if you had a piece of advice for someone preparing for med school, what would you tell them? Make sure you have other interests in your life that you can go to mm. outside of just medicine. Because you, everybody in medicine is gonna be really into medicine and you're gonna have plenty of time to be really into medicine, yeah. but you gotta have something else that kind of keeps your interests, hobbies or something, mm -hmm. even if it's like watching Netflix series. <laughs> something that you can do outside of that. Yeah. And not losing track of your family and your friends. Yeah. It's making sure you keep in communication with them. Awesome. And then what about for people that are considering their like residency choice or choosing their field in medicine? That I am the prime example of not choosing something for the lifestyle. <laughs> if there are two things you really love and the lifestyle is better than one, then absolutely go for it. But you really have to pick something that you like and that you can do every day because if you're miserable in that field, even if you're only going to work from nine to three, those six hours are going to be the worst six hours every day if you don't like it. And if you chose it just for lifestyle, you're not going to be happy. So you have to choose something that you really love to do and the lifestyle will follow. Thank but it's okay you. to choose a better lifestyle if there are several things that you really <laughs> like. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Berman. Thanks for coming on the show to share your thoughts and your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Bruman, for coming and joining us on this episode of Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. And thank you to everyone who's out there listening. I am so happy that you have come back to join us in this new year. So happy 2020 to all the listeners out there. And don't forget to tune in later this week for our third episode of 2020. Happy New Year, everyone.